I'm going to try to stay awake, and so uh, let's get right into it. Ephesians chapter number 4. I know I saw a few that were fading this morning, so I'm going to try to fight that today. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And we're going to, we're going to read a little bit, and then, uh, and then I'll have, um, I have a, an illustration here, I think, that will help, help keep your attention. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, and Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing in lo- one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm preaching tonight on the subject, the church united. Let's pray. Father, please help me now as I speak to this group of uh, believers, this body, this church. Uh, Lord, I want to be a help to them. I want to encourage them. Uh, I want to try to edify them as a, as a fellow brother. Uh, Lord, I'm grateful for the folks that are from Faith Baptist Church that are here uh, supporting me as, as well. And uh, what a blessing it is to do ministry with those people that you've put us together with. God, you're so good. And you are, we, you're, John put it so well, Lord. We sometimes put our expectations on you, but you're the one that does the work. You're the one that brings the harvest. And I pray that you would do just that very thing tonight. Uh, Holy Spirit, you have your way with us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the church united. And, and, and Chris, you've got that illustration. Let's go ahead and throw that up and uh, try to keep. Everybody's attention tonight. That's not 90s, no. But uh, <laughs> this was, we're looking at the idea of the church united. And as, as you see the comic strip, you have Linus and Lucy. And Lucy comes in. Linus is watching TV. She says, switch channels. Lucy is being ignored by Linus. Lucy says again, I said, switch channels. I want to watch my program. Here comes Linus. Are you kidding? What makes you think you can just walk right in here and take over? And Lucy, notice her words. These five fingers. Individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. So Linus says, what channel do you want? (laughs) He sighs. He walks away looking at his own hand. Why can't you guys get organized like that? And sometimes I I think that we we kind of shake our heads as a church and we just wonder, why can't we get organized like that? We want to see our churches be effective. We want to see lives transformed with the gospel. We want to see Jesus glorified. We want to see a positive change in our community because our church is in our community. But in order to do so, our churches must be like Lucy's five fingers. Individually, we are nothing. We're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. But when we're put together into one single unit, we are a terrible force that the, even the gates of hell shudder to behold. So we're looking at the church united. 
What does a united church look like? What does a church that acts like Lucy's five fingers, how does that church operate? Paul writes here in Ephesians. I want to see, uh, number one, as we get right into the message, that the church united is a humbled church. Notice verse 1. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I know I'm still young, but as a younger preacher still, whenever I preached this verse, Brother Lynn, I preached it wrong. I did what no pastor or any preacher or any Christian has any right to do on the face of the planet. I took the scripture and pulled it out of its context to say what I thought or what I wanted it to say. Last, when I was, I remember preaching a sermon and I used this passage, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. What does, it, what does it look like to walk worthy as a Christian? And I used that sermon to preach every standard and conviction and, you know, throw every, you know, chase every dog and, and throw every can and everything else. But Paul, Paul takes and defines exactly what he means when he says, I want you, Ephesians, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I want you to walk worthy of the name Christian. And what does it mean to walk worthy of the title, of the vocation, of the name Christian? He says that you walk with all lowliness and meekness. You walk with long-suffering, that's patience. You walk forbearing one another in love. You walk endeavoring, that means striving to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A united church is a humble church. So long as the church is full of arrogant, proud, pompous individuals, it will never be effective. It will never be united. It will always be divided, split, and useless. Do we see that in our churches? I think if we're honest, do we see that in our own lives at times? Pride's that, that sneaky sin. It really is. It's, it's that one that, that catches us by surprise. You know, you can, you can be proud about how humble you are. Right? Of course, we've never done that, have we? The New United Church is a humble church. A church is walking worthy of its vocation, has nothing to do with standards and convictions, but rather whether or not the members of the church get along with one another. Paul deals with the same subject of this united body, and we're going to look at that, that, that metaphor that Paul uses later, uh, but he, he uses the same thing in Romans chapter 12. And it is familiar to us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And if you want to just listen as I read, or you can turn there on your own. But Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that word beseech, I plead with you, I beg with you, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sounds very similar to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The very next thing Paul says is, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. We like to preach, you know, one and two, be holy, acceptable unto God, uh, sacrifice, don't be, don't be conformed to this world. But Paul again determines what he means by don't be conformed to this world. He says don't be eating each other alive. Don't be looking to one-up one another. Don't be looking to take advantage of one another. Walk humbly. Don't think more of yourself than ye ought to think. A church cannot be united if its members cannot be humble. The reality is, we on our own are nothing. I am nothing. I am a broken, worthless sinner. I have no merits to bring before Jesus to make me worthy of any grace or any mercy He has showed me. The fact of the matter is, I can only respond with the gifts that He has given me. The very act of, you know, the very faith that I have is of the mercy and grace of God. But Jesus, He died. He redeemed me. He bought me. He saved me. He called me as one of His own. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He is working in my life. And the same is true for you. Don't think of yourself more worthy, more highly than you ought to think. Sometimes we act like somehow God hit the MVP when He found us. Mm -mm. God doesn't really need us. I mean, if if you just pause and think for a moment, He spoke the world into existence and none of us were even here to help help Him along the way. He doesn't need us, but He chooses to use us. He wants to use us. That in and of itself should be a humbling truth. Don't think more of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Now, don't misunderstand me. That does, I'm not saying that you should belittle yourself or think yourself of no value. No, you are of incredible value because Jesus died to save you. The King of the universe took on flesh, dwelt amongst His creation, was beaten and crucified and died, was buried and rose again for you. You're valuable. but you're not more important than anyone else. We struggle in our churches because we often look down on each other. We form our own little cliques. We become uh, uh, organizations whose motto, whose slogan could simply be us for and no more. That's wrong. That's sinful. In fact, the matter is, you should be striving, and in a small church like this, you, you really can do this. You should be striving to reach out to and love that person that in the church that maybe is not like you. That maybe they have that personality that you, you, just, you just don't necessarily work well with. But God has put that person in your church with you for a reason. Don't despise them. 
Don't look down on them. Don't look for every opportunity to avoid them at handshaking time. Don't, don't, don't treat one another with contempt. Is there someone that is poorer than you? So you despise them? Typically, no. It's usually someone that's richer than us that we despise. They have more than we got. They drive the nicer car. They live in, in a house instead of a mobile home. I mean, <laughs> don't do that. And if these things have hit a nerve with you, then it's time for you to repent of your pride and start walking worthy of the name Christian. You know, I think of the disciples. Who, who are the men that Jesus chose? I, th- think, think, I want to think of two, bring two to our mind for a moment. One of them's name is Matthew or Levi. The other is Simon. Matthew, his job was, he was a tax collector. He was a representative of the IRS. He worked for Rome. But Simon, what was he before Jesus called him? He was a zealot. He was part of a political faction that was trying to overthrow Rome. See, to Simon, the most detestable person on planet Earth would have been Matthew. To the average Jew, the most detestable person on planet Earth would have been Matthew. A tax collector collaborating with Rome. But when Jesus called them together, those things no longer mattered. It was all about Jesus. Who they were before finding Jesus, irrelevant. It was all about Jesus. And you may be here and say, well, there's this person, and they're from this background, and I'm from this background, and we just don't typically get together. We don't typically work well with one another. doesn't matter. You're part of a new group now. You bear the name Christian. Bond and free, Jew and Gentile, uh, Greek, barbarian, it doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus is that leveling force. So a united church is a humbled church. As we think of the disciples again, what was it that Jesus most often rebuked them for? Most often he rebuked them because they were bickering about who was most important. I think on you know two notable examples, as they journeyed along the roadside, they fought and bickered with one another about who would have the highest position in the kingdom of heaven. I think of James and John coming to Jesus uh, at the urging of their mother Salome to say, let us sit on your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Jesus made it clear that's not how the kingdom of heaven operates. In fact, he says the one that would be the greatest, he is the least. And the least is indeed the greatest. If you want to be that five-fingered church, you've got, to be, you've got to be humbled. A unified church is a humble church. Number two, a unified church is a committed church. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, and we'll read on down through verse 10. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that has descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. A church that is united is a committed church. By this, I mean a church that is focused together. There is buy-in on one single shared mission. One single shared focus. Here, in this case, Paul is trying to help them understand, hey, there's one Lord, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one faith, there's one baptism. It's all to the glory of God. And so they could come and be unified together, humbled uh, by, by the calling that they had, and realizing that all that they did and all that they were was to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. United on a single purpose. United on a single mission. Do we have that? Are we, are we bought in on that? And I, I know I, I said enough about that this morning, this idea of the Great Commission to go out and preach the gospel to all creatures, to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the whole earth. It's that buy-in. It's that, that, that making that personal. It's that saying, I am sold out for Jesus. I'm on board. That's what helps the church to move forward. That's what unites a church. We have that one purpose. You know, when there's one mission, when there's one focus, private agendas disappear. But when we all come in together and we all have our own goal, we all have our own mission, we have our own thing we want to accomplish, we accomplish nothing. We end up like my two children. <laughs> my my, my three-year-old and my nine-month-old. The three-year-old, when you sit them down, him down from his bucket of Legos, wants to build a Lego house. The nine-month-old wants to destroy said Lego house. <laughs> Nothing can get accomplished, but eventually, mom and dad having to come in and separate the two. They have a different mission. They're not unified on the same goal. They're not unified on the same purpose. We as a church are. Or at least we should be. Not building kingdoms of our own. Not building, uh, amassing followers to ourselves. But pointing our world to Jesus. So a church united is a humble church. A church united is a committed church. And as I said, you know, I said so much about that this morning, I, I'll move on. But let me say this, number three, a church united is a participating church. Notice verse number 11 of the same chapter. Chapter 4, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may I grow up 
into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, as Paul does in other places, he he uses this metaphor to describe the church. He says, it's a body. He uses the same metaphor in Romans chapter 12. He uses the same metaphor in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says the church ought to function like a body. In this case, in verse 16, the goal he puts out is that the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, he says it should be the effectual, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. When those things are so, there's increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. Every part working together. He says that's effectual. A church that is united is a church that is a participating church. You want to know the sure, a surefire sign of an unhealthy church? A surefire sign of an unhealthy church is a church that expects the pastor to do everything. The trash can's full? Yeah, the pastor will take care of it. The bathroom's dirty? Yeah, the pastor will take care of it. Kids crying? Well, I wish the pastor would say something about that. Well, somebody's sick in the hospital? Well, the pastor will take care of that. And pastors, we should visit people in the hospital. But show me in the Bible where it says only the pastor does that. No, every part. Every member having a part. Every member being involved. It's necessary. It's important. I want to say this. Every member has a role to play. We call these roles, we use a Bible, you know, we give a Bible name for the roles of the different members of the church, the Bible calls it spiritual gifts. When we look at the idea of spiritual gifts, it's not some hocus-pocus magic power. It's that God equips different members within the body to do different things. It really is like your body. You have different parts. Each part does a different thing. It fills a different function. Your eye does not do what your ears do. Your ear does not do what your nose nose does. Your feet do not do what your hands do. Each part has its role. Each part has its purpose. Each part is equipped by God to do a different thing within your body. And so is the case for the church. Each member of the church is equipped by God to have a different role within the body. In 1 Corinthians 12 and and Romans 12 and, and here in Ephesians, we have several lists of these spiritual gifts. Some are gifts of wisdom or knowledge or faith. Some, especially in the early church, were gifts that were more miraculous, like healing or the workings of miracles, speaking in unknown tongues and interpreting uh, other tongues, that, you know, other languages uh, that, that people spoke. There were gifts of service. He says he gave some apostles. He gave some prophets. He gave some teachers, some pastors. There are gifts of, of ministry, such as of serving and administration and, and exhortation giving and mercy, all these things are God equipping different people, different members of the body to fulfill different roles. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul says there's diversities of gifts. He says there's differences of administrations. He says there's diversities of operations. So you may be sitting in the church, and, and, and perhaps you're wanting to be more involved, so you look at Pastor Lynn and say, well, I can't do everything Pastor Lynn can do. Well, good. Your church only needs one Pastor Lynn. It doesn't need more than one. My church thanks God that we only need one Andrew Montgomery. We couldn't handle more than one. No, God needs you to do your role. He needs you to be you. He created you to be you. Fun fact. I mean, that's mind-blowing, right? He made you to be you. He didn't make you to be someone else. He made you to be you. To fulfill your role. To have your part. Let me say this, letter B, every role is indispensable. Every role is indispensable. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul, continuing this metaphor, says, you know, the, 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 the eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. The hand can't say to the foot, I, I have no need of you. You can't look at another member, another part of the body, and say, you're not important here. No, if God put somebody as a member in your church, then according to God's program, they are indispensable. They're important. They're needed here. The person that takes care of the nursery, the person that cleans the bathroom, is just as important on a Sunday morning as the person that gives a sermon. Because it doesn't matter what the person who said the ser- you know, gives the sermon says if the people in the pews are too busy focusing on the nasty bathroom or the crying baby. Every part, every member, every role is indispensable. Every member ha- has a role to play. Every role is indispensable. And let me say this as we close, let us see. Every part, every member must be doing his role. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden your kidney said, you know, I'm going to take a staycation. <laughs> I don't feel like working for a week. How would your body be doing? All of a sudden you got up and your eyes said, you know what? We're a little tired. We're going to take a break. Y'all got this, right? No, I'm not saying you can't take vacations. I'm not saying you can't take staycations. But the point I'm trying to make is that each member of the body needs to be doing its part for the body to operate. And we treat church as a venue that produces content for us to consume. We we, we treat church like it's YouTube. We treat church like it's a comedy club. We treat church like it's a concert. We treat church like it's something we come so that we can get from rather than coming to contribute as a part of. Brother Mitch and I, we were uh, as we were pulling into the parking lot, we were talking about how COVID is uh, kind of set up where all of a sudden everybody got used to internet preaching. And if you're on the live stream because you're sick or you, you can't be in church, I'm not, I'm not down in you, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. 
We use the live stream at our church. You know, uh, as, as, as I was getting ready to preach here uh, this morning, my wife was checking the live stream at our church because I think she wanted to, you know, I think that was more interesting to her than what I had to say, you know. But um, uh, I'm not downing that. But I think it, it created this, this mindset that church could be something that I could sit on my couch and I could tune in until my attention was carried elsewhere, and I could turn it off for the week and be done until I picked it up again next Sunday morning. That's not the church. The church is not a Sunday morning service. The church is a body that gathers together. Yes, we gather on Sunday morning for the purpose of worship and edification, but there's so much more that the church does. Your pastor, John, does a does not work only one day a week. That was the, that was the joke, inside joke. But uh, the pastor, he, he does so much more than just a Sunday morning service. Oh, the church is, the church is it, it, it's, it's a body, it's organic, it's doing things throughout the week. And you, as a member of the church, you get to be an integral part of that body. I don't know what that part is. I don't know what that role is. It's your job to find out. Maybe your role is to be a prayer warrior. Uh, do you guys have a prayer chain? We, yeah. Okay. So at our church, we have a ministry called the prayer chain, and we is you know a lot of composed of a, a lot of elderly people. They can't necessarily show up on a work day and help remodel the auditorium and something we're doing. But when somebody's on their way to the hospital, these people can shut down everything else they're doing and stop and pray for a need. Maybe that's your role. Maybe your role can be to help clean. Maybe your role can be to help teach. And maybe your role is to, to, to be an assistant, to, to help your pastor. Whatever that role may be, find it and follow it and do it. Be active. Be a part. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Don't be just a bench warmer. Nobody is called in the body of Christ to be the water boy. To just sit on the benches and watch the rest of the team get out on the field. No, every person is called to be involved. Because individually, we are nothing. But when we are combined into a single unit, we are a terrible force to behold. Who knows what could happen in Fernley if your church and perhaps this is just reminding you of truths you already know. But if your church were a truly united church, humbled, committed, and then participating, every member, every part, having a role, I think it would change this town. There were 12 men, 11. They were this. Not always perfectly. They made mistakes. But after 12 men started hitting this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it began to spread, when Paul came along and he reached the, the, the area of Asia Minor, they said, hey, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Wouldn't it be great if Fernley had to simply step back and say, hey, those that have turned the world upside down, they're here also. They're over by the bowling alley. Go check them out. 
want to challenge you, church. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. The pastor comes for invitation time. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a minute. And Let me challenge you to reflect on some of the things he said tonight. And Lord, we... I, at least the way I understood it, I, I don't know that he was necessarily saying you need to do more. That, that's that's not how I understood it. But I need to be doing what you need me, what you want me to do. Be a part of the body. And sometimes we can do more and miss the whole point of being part of the body. We can get so caught up with, quote-unquote, doing the work of the ministry that we forget who the ministry is all about. And Lord, as we reflect on the things we've heard tonight, help us, dear God, to keep that in perspective of you. You are the ministry. And we can make a difference. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you again this evening.